Amen. Worthy. Worthy is the king that conquered the grave. I don't know about you, but I hear those words and it does something within me because I know if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, good God Almighty, I don't know where I would be. But thanks be to God that he took on what belonged to us. Bethel Hope, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Uh, for those of you that are here in the building and for those of you that are uh, watching online, um, I am not a stranger to Bethel Hope. I, it's probably about my fourth time being here. Um, and so I'm, I'm always excited. I said, man, I, I must have done something right <laughs> to be invited back, either that or Either that or it's because me and Ricky Gardner are good friends. Uh, either way, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be able to uh, allow my friend uh, to be able to take a rest. Um, because uh, pastors and leaders, we need that from time to time. And so um, I'm actually, I was actually supposed to be here uh, last week um, and I wasn't able to make it, but I'm, I'm so glad that I wasn't because I listened to the message that Pastor Gardner preached last week, and I wouldn't have been able to do that scripture any justice. I mean, he preached the word, and I'm looking on the other side of the, of the computer, and I was fired up. I said, I'm so glad that I wasn't standing in his position last week because he truly allowed the Lord to work that message out through him. And so... Um, Today, we're going to take a detour um, from the, the, the series that you guys have been going through in Ruth, um, and we're going to do something a little different today. Um, but again, for me, I mean, we, we're, we're in these, these odd times, these, these weird times where our, our normal, uh, the normalcy of life has been disrupted, and, and at some point, I believe that we're all trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to figure out how do we go about life in this, this new normal, I guess is what we're calling it. And, 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 and if I'm, to be honest with you, uh, uh, for me as someone that actually leads a ministry, some days are better than others. There's some days that I find myself just trying to figure it out. It's like I make a plan and then something changed and that plan is no longer valid. And so... <laughs> We're in a time where we have to lean and depend wholeheartedly on the Lord because he is truly the one that can only direct our path. And if, and if I'm honest, it could be a scary thing, but it also can be an exciting thing because the Lord is taking away things that we would be able to do really without including him. And he's making us have a soul reliance on his spirit. And if I'm honest, it's exciting to me as well because it seems like in this season, he has pushed the church out of the building. A lot of us are ready to get to normal and we're ready to get back to our regular church routines and uh, Sunday services and all of these things. But the Lord is setting the stage for the church to be the church outside of the building. 
because that's where true transformation is going to take place. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And so nine years ago, my family and I, we packed up from California, leaving behind our comfort zone and everything that we have been familiar with. Uh, only to move here to East Texas and quickly recognize that this was a very different culture. Far from anything that we had ever been exposed to. And I was reminded of that a few months ago <clears throat> when my mom sent me a picture of her and my dad having dinner with the rapper Snoop Dogg. You see, our, my, our parents are good friends. Matter of fact, my father-in-law is Snoop Dogg's pastor, his, his mom's pastor, not his pastor. Uh, but I was reminded of that when my mom sent me a picture of her and my dad having, having dinner with Snoop. And then a few days later, I sent my mom a picture of my wife and I having dinner with Rick Lambert, only for her to respond, son, who is that? <laughs> you see, I come from this culture of gangster rap music. That's where I move here from. I move from Compton, California to Lindell, Texas. Very different world. You see, I moved from the home of gangster rap music only to move to the home of Miranda Lambert. <laughs> and what I found to be true in my last 12 years of living is that it's easy for people to allow culture, context, familiarity, biases, past hurts, and comfort to stop us from building intentional relationships with people who come from a completely different context. Dr. Martin Luther King said in his book that he wrote in 1957 called Stride to Freedom, he said that men often hate each other because they fear each other. He said they fear each other because they do not know each other. He said they do not know each other because they cannot communicate. And they cannot communicate because they're separate. And it can often feel like we live in a separated, segregated world, especially if we're not building intentional relationships cross-culturally or across ethnic lines. It can feel like we're separate. And so today, I want to share with you guys from a familiar passage uh, of Scripture in John 4, while using the thought to bring out in this text the blueprint for neighboring. The blueprint for neighboring. Uh, what is a blueprint? A blueprint is a design. It's a roadmap. It's what architects use uh, to bring to life an idea that was envisioned on paper. And anytime an, archi an architect is looking to bring forth the design, anytime they get off of the blueprint, they realize where they went wrong. And so the goal is to always bring it back to the blueprint that was envisioned from the beginning. And I don't know if you know it or not, but as believers in Christ Jesus, we also have been given a blueprint. And it starts something like this. That we shall love the Lord our God with all our hearts with all our minds 
and with all our souls. And the second is like this, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the blueprint that was given to us as believers from the beginning of time on how to live out this thing called Christianity. The Bible calls it the great commandment. And matter of fact, in this blueprint, it says that when we get off path is that the, the, the scriptures, what was written, what was envisioned in the beginning should bring us back to the original foundation of what we should be striving for on the blueprint because it says that all scripture hangs on these two things. But if you leave it to us, because we're flawed, we're broken people, um, and so it should be expected that we would mess this thing up. And so when Jesus realized that we would mess it up, because that's what we're good, we're, we specialize in messing things up, he says in his word, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But this time, he, he, he's flipped it a little bit. He, not, he said, not like you love yourself, because, you know, sometimes we have a problem with loving ourselves. And because if we're not able to love ourselves, it's hard for us to love other people. And so he says, this new commandment I give to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. And he says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples by the love you have. For one another. And so when we look at this blueprint for neighbor, and I want to tell you, first of all, that this, this idea of being separate and segregated is not a new thing. Let me give you a little context of the scripture before we dig into it. Uh, in 1722 BC, Assyria invaded Israel as a part of God's judgment. They took many Jews to Assyria and transplanted uh, some Assyrians into Israel. And that's when interracial marriages began to happen. And uh, what happened from those inter interracial marriages was it created a new group of people called the Samaritans. Uh, and these, these Samaritans were, were despised by the Jews and even considered unclean because they didn't have pure Jew blood. And there was a hatred between these two groups. Um, there was, this was a time when racism and bigotry was at an all-time high, even much so that we see today in the U.S. I mean, the Jews and the Samaritans had such a disdain for one another, an actual hatred that ran deep. And the Jews looked down on the Samaritans so much so that they even gave them the nickname of the Samaritan dogs. When Jews would travel from Judea to Galilee, they would literally take the alternate route around Samaria, making their trip two extra days just to not come in contact with the Samaritan people. And that's why the story of the Good Samaritan is so important in Scripture because it's, it's really the Scripture of uh, a Jew trying to take the alternate route around Samaria and he gets beat and robbed and then a Samaritan of all people comes to the rescue. But this is where the story picks up and it becomes interesting because a few unusual things begins to happen. Jesus and his disciples, who are Jews, decided to do something different. 
They didn't do what everyone else from their ethnic background was doing as it relates to their travel from Judea to Galilee. And this is where it gets interesting. Let's read scripture. It says in verse 1, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize anyone but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Think about this. In verse 4, it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Well, according to what the other Orthodox Jews was doing, we would know that Jesus really didn't have to pass through Samaria. Because the fact was that no other Jew went that way to get to their destination. The need wasn't because of the travel arrangement or a practical necessity, but it was because of calling. There was people there that needed to know who Jesus was, and that's why he went through Samaria. But there was also people there that because of a great divide that it needed to be mended. And so Jesus' reason for going through Samaria was not just to meet this woman, but it was also to take care of a divide that was happening. And so here is what I say to you, is that when God gives you a task to break through tradition, you will have to do some things that has been deemed normal in our culture. There was a divide that needed to be mended. And so Jesus had to do something that other people wasn't willing to do. Because it wasn't about the necessity, it was about calling and mission. And that's why I love coming to Bethel Hope, because uh, you guys have been designed as a group of believers that wants to do something different. But here's what I would say to you, Bethel Hope, is that the mission is bigger than having an integrated church. God has called you guys to be, uh, to be an example to the rest of East Texas that still have not gotten it yet. If I was at my home church in Compton, California, this would be the time I would say, do I have a witness here? Because when you have a mission, you have to do something outside of the norm. I think I feel like preaching now. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He traveled where other Jews weren't willing to travel. And what we see here is Jesus prioritizing the spiritual needs over facilitating, endorsing, and practicing ungodly social and racial divisions. He takes a rest stop at Jacob's well and sparks up a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. Don't, I, I don't want you to miss the significance of what's actually taking place here. Women in that time and still many times in the Middle East were considered the lowest of the low. They had 
two tasks to take care of the home and give birth to babies. Going to the well for water early, uh, going to the well for water um, for their home early in the morning or late in the evening when it wasn't like so hot outside. It get hot in the Middle East. I don't know if any of you guys ever been there, but man, I went to, to Doha last summer and we got off the plane and it was 126 degrees. Good Lord. And so, so they, they would go to get water from the well either early in the morning or late in the afternoon and then, because that was part of their task. And they would go in groups because this was their time to do what women do. They would chat, gossip maybe, <laughs> or whatever it is that they wanted to do amongst community of other women. And here it is that this woman comes to the well at the heat of the day all alone signifying that she was an outcast and Jesus is there waiting for her. And I love the way that the Lord sets up divine interactions when we are willing to be obedient to his promptings. Notice the description of the well. It was Jacob's well near the land that had been given to his son Joseph. This is the same land where Joseph made a covenant with Israel, renewing their commitment to the God of Israel and proclaiming, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the same land. But if you look at what's happening going on in that time, his people was not serving the Lord. And so here it is. The Lord sets up a divine intervention, a divine interaction to meet this woman, this outcast woman at the well. See, Jacob was the father of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he was also the father of the Samaritans because the Samaritans believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Jacob is in Genesis, and so they accepted Jacob. And so here is my first point in the blueprint of neighboring. Be willing to meet people on common ground. You see, they had a hatred for each other, but they both had a love for Jacob. And notice, this is where Jesus met this woman. He met this woman at the place of agreement. And when you have been raised in different cultures, it's easy to highlight what we, di what we disagree on. You don't have to go far to look. You could pull up Facebook. Give it two minutes. It's not hard to find out what people disagree on. I remember I was talking to a guy in, in Walmart like I do often. Anytime I'm somewhere, I, I always find somebody to spark up a conversation with. And I was having a conversation with this guy, and it was very short. I mean, we were talking, and then quickly he wanted to know where I stood. He said, Nate, so tell me, are you a CNN guy or are you a Fox News guy? I said, actually, I'm a Sports Center and ESPN guy. <laughs> because it's easy to find out or try to find out what we disagree on. But Jesus met this woman at a place of agreement. He used this place of agreement to be intentional in sparking up a conversation because he knows 
what, he, what he's prepared to offer this woman is life-altering. Take a look at verse 9. This was her response. How is it? I'm sorry, that ain't what, he said, what she said. <laughs> this Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This woman was thrown off completely by Jesus even approaching her. She was thrown for a loop because Jews are not supposed to be in the neighborhood. They actually avoided being in her neighborhood. So how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The natural animosity between Jews and Samaritans, they just didn't mingle like that. This woman is wondering, why are you even talking to me? You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. But see, she had a limited perspective. And I'm always amazed when Christians do the same thing. When we label each other by our ethnicity or our color, and we just leave it at that. I remember, I remember being at a play um, that my son had at his school, and I was sitting by a lady. Um, actually, the lady went to my church, and it, it was amazing that when my son came up and she was sitting next to, I believe it was her daughter-in-law, she said, oh, that's the son of the hill. So she knew my last name. She knew who my son was, but as she was trying to describe me, and evidently she didn't see me sitting right, be right behind her, and she's trying to describe me, and she says, you know, the black family. The person sitting next to me kind of look at me. I just shook my head. Because if all that you know about me and my family is that we're the black family, then you really don't know us at all. And a lot of times we, we, we leave it at the basics. But it's always more to people. And all we have to do as believers is take the time to find out. And we see Jesus is giving us the blueprint for that to happen. He's building a relationship with someone that doesn't look like him, that doesn't come from where he comes from, that doesn't have the same socioeconomic status as him. And watch this. He did it fully as himself. She recognized that he was a Jew. He never told her he was a Jew. Outwardly, his appearance had to be that of a Jew. He never, she never told him that she was a Samaritan. Well, yes, she did. She did say that. She said, I'm a Samaritan woman. But he knew that she was a Samaritan woman. And even though they had the differences, that still didn't stop Jesus' intentional pursuit of her. So here's what I say to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is not asking white people to be black in order to build relationships with black people. 
Jesus is not asking black people to be Latino in order to build relationships with Latinos. He's simply asking us to see as he sees. That all people, regardless of the outer context of, their, uh, of the skin that they've been born into, is made in the image and likeness of Christ according to Genesis 1.27. Therefore, they have infinite value and worth. And since we have this same Jesus that stepped out of eternity and into culture and tore down this dividing wall of hostility living on the inside of us, now we can approach people as people without a specific agenda other than getting to know them. Do I have a witness here? Of course, Jesus could have gotten his own drink himself. But what a beautiful disarming way to begin a conversation with a person that is not used to being pursued. He puts himself in a lesser dependent asking position. Jesus does this. I don't know if you know that, but he does that for us as well. Matter of fact, any Jew would have been that would have become ceremonially unclean if they would have used a drinking vessel handled by a Samaritan since they held that all Samaritans were unclean. This is another way that Jesus sets the stage for what is about to take place in her life. Notice that Jesus was willing to become dirty so eventually she could become clean. This is a picture of the gospel. This is, just, this is not just a blueprint for neighboring, but this is a picture of the gospel, the cross-shaped gospel, the vertical as well as the horizontal. Because when we've been reconciled to Christ, we should be reconciled to one another. And so here is my second point in the blueprint for neighboring, is that we must be willing to deal with the humanity of mankind if we want to earn the right to deal with the spirituality of mankind. We must be willing to deal with the humanity of mankind if we want to earn the right to deal with the spirituality of mankind. Now, notice I said earn the right because a lot of times we think because of our positions, our influence, um, based on those things that people should just be willing to listen to us. That's not how it rolls in the world. As believers, we should be willing to earn the right to speak into people's lives. Notice that Jesus was willing to deal with her natural well before he transitioned to her spiritual. It is not just enough for us to share the gospel with people, but we must be equally willing to share our lives with people. You guys do know that we're still benefiting two, over 2,000 years later because Jesus was willing to share his life with 12 people. We still get the benefit as Christians today because of somebody being willing to give their life to people. Matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he said, because we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
And if, and if us, the ecclesia, the, the, the called out ones, the ones who's been called out of darkness and sent uh, and, and brought into the marvelous light, if, if it's us that carry the contents of Christ living on the inside of us, then we should be okay with doing life with people. Jesus goes through Samaria where no other Jew goes. He talks to a Samaritan woman that other Samaritan women didn't even want to hang out with. And then he turns the conversation spiritual and offers her a gift that's too big for her own comprehension. Let's look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. This woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I would not be thirsty or have to come to this well to draw water. You know, something tells me, I, I skipped a few verses down, but something tells me as, as Jesus was talking to her, and, and because she had this limited uh, perspective of who she was actually talking to, um, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that Jesus was probably about to lose it. Like, she was about to blow him off. And then here it is, he says something that piques her curiosity. And do you know when when, when curiosity happens, that sets the stage for the spirit to begin to draw man to himself. And a true witness of Christ is so interesting, it's so compelling, it's so, it's, so, it's so innovating that it makes people ask us questions. You know that's what she, what, what she did. She began to ask Jesus questions. And I thought about that. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we as believers made Jesus so attractive that when we talk to people, the first thing that come out of our mouth is no longer, you should come to church. You know, that's one of the very things that kept me from church. I remember when I lived, uh, in, I lived in the inner city of Los Angeles, and people, you know, I, was, I lived in a neighborhood that was the mission neighborhood. You know, everyone wanted to come to our house or our neighborhood to do missions. This is where, where you drive the church bus through, and you, you want to pick up all the kids in the neighborhood to come to church on a Wednesday night, but then you don't see them again until next Wednesday. And I remember people would talk to us about certain things, and they would always say, well, you need to come to church. And I remember my response to them was, well, I hang out with your son, so evidently it don't work in your house so why would I need to come to church with you and so and so in this conversation Jesus is not talking to her specifically about coming to church he says something that piques her curiosity man it's gonna mess up somebody's <laughs> theology right here because if a person that you're having a conversation with is before you they're in the presence of the church you do know we are the church right we come to a building for the huddle this is where we get the playbook but the playbook is ran outside the building 
And so here it is. Jesus is making it so attractive that this woman wants to know, what is this water you speak of? I want some of that. Because I think what you're saying is true. If, 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 if I will, I have to keep coming back to this well to replenish myself. And you think about that in our own lives. What are the things that we keep coming back to the well to replenish that will never give us satisfaction? Prestige, money, influence. What is it? Jesus is saying, if you keep coming back to this place, you will never be satisfied. But what I have to offer you will give you complete satisfaction. So this is what Jesus says to her in verse 16. As she spoke with this curiosity saying, yeah, I, I will need to come back to this well. Give me this water so I will not be thirsty. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and tell him to come here. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I was, I was messed up. I'm like, Jesus, you had her at the place where she was ready. She was curious. She was ready to hear you out. Why didn't you just make the altar call right then? And Jesus says, go get your husband. And watch her response. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you are with now is not your husband. That's your boo. You got a boo. It's not your husband. Watch this. Jesus knew that she had a reputation. Now it makes sense why she would come to the well all alone and the other women didn't even want her in their their circle. They were trying to keep their man at home. But Jesus still pursues her. And it might look like Jesus is changing the subject, but he's actually not. In order for this woman to understand this living water concept, she must be fully aware of her need for living water. Before anyone can be saved, he must see his need for salvation and be convicted by sin. I think Jesus also understood that There's always a story behind the story. Jesus knew that there's always a reason that people do the things that they do. You know, in those days, women couldn't divorce men. Men can only divorce women. All they had to do was take that woman to a public place in the midst of some witnesses and scream out three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And here it is at that point, they're divorced. And so five times this woman had been with men that have told her I do only to go back on their word and say I don't. 
Can you imagine the public humiliation that she has experienced as a woman? Five times. Five different men. This reputation for being with different men. Think about how her self-esteem must have been at an all-time low. She's probably not even looking for another man to marry her. She just want to be loved by somebody. There was a song back in the day that my mama used to play that said, if loving you is wrong, there it is. There was another song that said, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. Now, here it is. This woman have had five husbands, and she got a boo. She's just searching for love. And Jesus understood that, and he didn't use her past against her. And so watch what happens here. Verse 20. No, we're going to go verse, verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Y'all notice what happened? That she did what we do. When people call out our stuff, she tried to change the subject. That's what she did. She went back to the religious conversation. Well, your people, we, we worship over here and, and, and y'all worship over here. We, we worship on, on this mountain and, and, and y'all worship on their mountain. But notice, this is also the second time that she brought up some kind of division. The first time that she brought it up, Jesus didn't even respond to it. But this time when she bring it up, because now the conversation has turned to spiritual, Jesus speaks into that. And this is uh, what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in the mountain of Jerusalem will worship the Father. Your worship, what, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is, a, is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Here's my third and final point. If we're living in traditions that have been passed down from our fathers that is rooted in culture and backgrounds that are not biblical, we must be willing to lay those things down. Because truth always overrides tradition. And so she tried to bring up to Jesus the historical background as if he already didn't know. And he squashes all of that. 
He said, the time is coming and the time is now here when the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. He said, I don't care if you worship on this mountain or I don't care if you worship on that mountain. I don't care if you go to this church or I don't care if you go to that church. I don't care if you worship in North Tyler. I don't care if you worship in South Tyler. I don't care if you go to all all African-American church. I don't care if you go to all Anglo church. I don't care if you go to all Latino church. The time is now where the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. The time is here where the Christian believers will no longer be defined by our separation or our segregation, but we will be defined as one because that's what Jesus prayed for. Do I have a witness here? And here's what I say to that. Is that oneness does not mean same, uh, sameness. Oneness does not mean sameness. Unity does not mean uniformity. There is a place and there is a position for all of us who belong to the kingdom of God. And so I love the way that the Lord is tearing this down. And I'm so excited, Bethel Hope, that you all have decided we're going to do something different. That we would not be defined by tradition. That we would not be defined by what people have set in place to have us more apart than to have us together. I'm so glad that you guys are setting the stage for that to happen. Because whether you know it or not, we should be a visible reflection of what we hope to see in the world. And we cannot lead the way as believers if we're more segregated and separated than the world that's looking at us. And so, Father, I I thank you. I thank you for your word that went forth on today. Father, I thank you for the blueprint that has been given to us as believers. That we can set the stage for an onlooking world. Because the time is coming and the time is now here that your true believers will rise up and live this thing out. So, Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for interceding on our behalves. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for allowing our spiritual worship to be contagious. Father, let us take on your blueprint. Let us take on your blueprint. And any time that we 
divert from the action plan that was given to us. Let us have brothers and sisters in our lives that are willing to call it out. For we love you and we trust you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So for those of you um, that are here or those of you that may be watching online, I offer you this same Christ that I've been talking about. One that steps into culture. One that steps into our mess. One that meets us where we are. One that doesn't hold our yesterday against us. But one that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if thou should confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, said at that point, you shall be saved. And if that's you, we offer Christ to you on today.